0: What can we learn from our Lutheran forefathers on how to face the challenges of a culture openly hostile to Christianity? Pastor Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, has written a column for the latest Issues Etc. journal titled, For Such a Time as This. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. You'll also find Pastor Will Whedon's article on the monthly Psalter, the free online Issues Etc. journal, IssuesEtc.org. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther is often a subject of conversation here on Issues Etc. But before Luther, there was another Martin. You have to go all the way back. To the 4th century, a very active time in the life of the church, there was missionary work, there was the growth of the church, there were all kinds of heresies flying around, and there is a Roman soldier who will later become the Bishop of Tours, his name was Martin as well. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to talk about 4th century soldier and Bishop Martin of Tours. Dr. Bill Weinrich joins us. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary Fort Wayne Indiana and author of the Concordia commentaries on John 1 through 7 and John 7 through 12. Dr. Weinrich, welcome back. Thank you
1: Todd, always good to be with you. Why does the church remember Martin of Tours? Well, it's a good question. There are perhaps two or three aspects to to this. One is he was a very significant leader figure in Gaul in the fourth century at a time when it was essentially pagan on the one hand and where Christianized was largely Arian on the other. And so his influence on other missionaries, for example, St. Ninian, who is the great missionary to the Picts in what today is Scotland, St. Ninian uh, went to tours and spent some time with Martin and was enthusiastic about Martin's ascetic regimen and monastic goals. But also, Martin was a significant supporter of Bishop Hilary of Poitiers at a time when it was not easy to be a supporter of Nicene Orthodoxy. So if you would read, for example, the The Life of Martin by Sulpicius Severus. You have, in some ways, a typical kind of topology of such hagiographical writings in which he is a miracle worker, he's an anti-heretical champion, a missionary confessor, and all of that. But uh, all those things, in fact, are true of, of Martin at a time when Christianity was not yet well established in Gaul. So he was in fact a significant historical figure and uh, the church I think is totally uh, right in uh, acknowledging him and having a feast day for him. What
0: is the state of Christianity? You mentioned briefly there. What is the state of Christianity in the early 4th century?
1: Well it depends on uh, where one is. If one is in Italy it is Already the majority faith, certainly the same would be true of North Africa, what today would be Libyan, Tunisia, and Morocco, certainly Asia Minor, modern Turkey, Palestine, Egypt, and in the southern part of Gaul, which uh, was modern France. But as you move north towards what today would be the Low Countries, Belgium and Netherlands, you become increasingly pagan. And in Tours, which is in the Loire Valley, that river that flows roughly from Paris to the south of what today would be Brittany, north of that was largely pagan. And the Frisians, for example, these were highly warlike pagans. And so where Martin was, was really on kind of a border between where certainly there had been Roman establishments, but Christianity was a little rarer as one got north. So, Martin was kind of on the cusp where Christianity was strong and where it wasn't strong at all. If you went across the English Channel, as we now call it, into Britain, Christianity was pretty strong until you got to what today would be Hadrian's Wall uh, between Carlisle and Newcastle today. North of that, it was deeply pagan. And this is one of the reasons I mentioned a moment ago St. Ninian, who was influenced by Martin, and St. Ninian was the great champion of Christianity to the Picts, which were north of Hadrian's Wall. So in the fourth century, Christianity was fighting for its life in what today would be North Europe. And uh, Martin was right in the center of that.
0: What do we know about his childhood?
1: very little we know that uh, he was born around 315 316 in what today would be hungary his parents i if i recall correctly were pagan but and he himself converted rather early in his boyhood i forgot exactly his age but it was young say 9 or 10 or 11 But that's about it, as far as his childhood is concerned, that we know with any certainty. He did then enroll in the Roman army at a time, and this would have been during roughly the time of Julian the Apostate, a kind of an interregnum period in which paganism kind of had a renaissance in the fourth century— And as a soldier, was sent to various places and eventually to Western Gaul, which was already under pressure from barbarian tribes. So it's not surprising that Martin finally finds himself in what today would be Western France. But we know very little in terms of historical certainties about his biography. So do we know how he comes to
0: the Christian faith?
1: Well... There is uh, some reports that early on he was confronted by Christian missionaries. At that time, Christian missionaries were very often ascetic and monastic figures, and Martin himself seems to have been attracted to the ascetic and monastic uh, lifestyle, which was highly dedicated, focused, kind of in a single, single fashion to uh, living for the the cause of, of Christ. And so early on, he seems to have been a young man, maybe in his early 20s when he became a Christian. There is a story that already as a soldier, he wanted to leave the Roman army claiming that he was a soldier of Christ alone. And this would indicate that he was already a Christian, sometimes relatively early in his life, I'm guessing, say, 25 or 30 at the most. Now, his desire to leave the Roman army does not appear to have been granted. And, of course, one of the best stories about Martin of Tours is a story about his military career in what today would be Tours, France. So, How did he become a Christian? Probably by interacting with Christian monastic missionary figures. So
0: you mentioned kind of one of those legends about him that he wishes to be a soldier for Christ. Do we know anything about how he left the military?
1: Well, the major, is it a legend? Maybe it's certainly legendary elements perhaps, but maybe there's some historical truth in this. The story goes that on a very wintry day in Tours, as he was riding his horse out from the city gate, he saw a poor beggar in the snow and with his sword cut his capa, his military cape, because he was a Roman, not only just a Roman soldier, but some level of officer and cut his coppa into two pieces, giving one half to this beggar. That night, we are told Christ appeared to him in the form of that beggar wearing that coppa. And this is, of course, the, the source, coppa, namely, that we get chaplain from. And so St. Martin of Tours is the patron saint of the military chaplain. And that's probably the best known aspect of Martin's life, actually, is this legendary, but perhaps semi-historical event. It does show, then, that already as he was reaching middle age, he was still in the military. It would not have been, I don't think, unusual at some point in adulthood that one's military service could be ended. And in his case, he chose to form A monastic settlement on the banks of the River Loire near Tours. He was deeply respected by the locals as a pious and charitable man, so the story of him and this begging figure, uh, legendary or no, seems to be true to the way he interacted with the poor in the district, including the Christian poor of course. And his monastic site, as well as his own individual monastic cell, became a site very early of pilgrimage. We can read about this in the history of the Franks, for example, by Gregory of Tours, uh, another Christian associated with Tours about 200 years later. Then, of course, because of his popularity, because also of his strong advocacy of Nicene Orthodoxy in association with and support of Bishop Hilary of Poitiers. He, Martin now that is, becomes the Bishop of Tours. And so he is in that office until he dies as an old man, some 81 or 82 years old, in 397. So he lived virtually the entirety of the fourth century. So, tell us about his early missionary work. Well, again, it does not appear that, like other missionaries at the time, that he was especially a traveling missionary, like the Celtics eventually would be, like St. Columba or St. Boniface. He appears to have been settled, again, in tours fairly early on with his monastic establishment, and there, through if the life of Martin by Sipicius Severus if is any guide, he was a powerful preacher. Uh, such persons uh, as Martin, who was associated with Christ according to piety and holiness, he was understood as a figure of spiritual power, so various. Miracles, healing the blind and the like are a tribute to him. In any case, he is a focus of spiritual power and orthodoxy. So I think in his case, missionary travels was perhaps at a minimum. Now, as a bishop, of course, he would travel to and visit his other bishops in his diocese. And probably that had a certain evangelistic character to it as well. But he's not a traveling missionary. He's a missionary in terms of the power and focus of his person, his intellect, his piety, and apparently the spiritual actions which he was able to do against pagans and demons. And that's a a very kind of characteristic biography of some of these early bishops, monastic figures, that they were figures of orthodoxy, good teachers. They were figures of monastic piety and holiness, and so exemplars of the baptismal life, the life of struggle in Christ's cause against the demons and against the pagans. And that's the kind of figure he is presented as having been by at least the life, again, of Martin that we have by Sulpicius Severus, which is the primary documentation that we actually have of him.
0: You mentioned early on the Arian heresy. How does he oppose that?
1: Well, it's a very good question. He opposes it in a way that's analogous to the way that in Egypt, St. Anthony opposes it. You may remember that St. Anthony was a strong supporter of St. Athanasius, the great anti-Aryan advocate of the Council of Nicaea. And in his life of Antony, and this is then kind of echoed in the life of Martin by Solpecius Severus, but in the life of Antony by Athanasius, Antony is depicted as a man fully possessed by, is that too strong a word? Perhaps so, but certainly guided by, governed by the fully divine Christ. And so, Anthony becomes then an exemplar of the Christian life as a struggle against Satan, which is at every point victorious, because he is under the guide and the direction of the fully divine Son of God. Something like that appears also in the life of Martin by Sulpicius Severus. Martin is a not just a teacher of truth, as though he's articulating dogma as such, which he of course does, but he is in himself this person who is the human exemplar of the incarnated fully divine Christ. And so possesses by grace the powers of Christ to overcome the devil, to overcome obstacles such as sin, such as death, such as sicknesses, and all that kind of thing. So we have these biographies of the saints, which are, in a way, dogmatic treatises by way of example and exemplar and biography, rather than simply dogmatic treatise, such as we might have in, say, Hillary's On the Trinity or something like that. So, he fought against the Arians, both by way of his teaching, but by way of the victorious character of Martin against paganism, the devil, and all its spiritual struggles.
0: Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest. We're remembering fourth century soldier and bishop Martin of Tours. He mentioned, and has mentioned several times, Hilary of Poitiers. We're going to come back to that significant figure in the relationship that he had with Martin next.
1: This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move farther into St. Luke, we cover the Benedictus Part 2, Nativity of Jesus, Shepherds and Angels, Visit of the Shepherds, Circumcision and Presentation. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. As we
0: prepare for the Advent season this year, it's time for some contemplation. Your Mons are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Don't celebrate another Christmas harkening back to the age of glitter balls? See Ad Crucem's beautifully designed Christmons, together with our book describing how they fit into the church year. Visit adcruesome.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com.
1: Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. Logia Journal, the Confessional Dogmatic Series. The works of Kurt markhort and many other resources are all brought to you by Luther Academy. Did you know that during this time of COVID-19, your purchases and donations help Luther Academy supply these same resources to pastors around the world? please consider helping us with this important need through your prayers and financial support. Learn how you can help by visiting lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com.
0: Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part today by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides an online classical Lutheran education for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org, Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. We're discussing 4th Century Soldier and Bishop Martin of Tours, observed by the church on November 11th. Our guest is Dr. Bill Weinrich of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana early on you had mentioned a relationship with Hillary of Poitiers who was Hillary and what was that relationship
1: well Hillary was perhaps the most other than Ambrose in Milan was probably the most important Nicene defender in the West in the middle of the fourth century as your listeners may know When Constantine the Great died in 337, the Imperium of Rome was split between his three sons and Constantius was given the eastern portion and Constantius would become a strong supporter of the Arian cause. His brother Constans was assassinated, Constans being in the West, and was the strongest of the brothers in, as far as the Nicene cause was concerned. Then also Constantine II was also overthrown and, and killed. And so there was a period of time in which Constantius, the sect, Constantius, was the leading imperial figure. And he was an Arian sympathizer. And so he forced Hillary into exile, and that exile, interestingly enough, was in Constantinople. And so Hillary was able actually to listen, interestingly enough, to the lectures and to the homilies of Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the greatest Cappadocian fathers, who, of course, was strongly anti-Aryan. And Nazianzus would even be the president for a while of the Second Ecumenical Council of Constantinople. Well, upon his return to Gaul, uh, Hillary then became the Bishop of Poitiers, which was a major outpost of Christianity as well as Roman power in the West. And through his writings, as well as his own teachings, Hillary was a major figure in the eventual overthrow of Arianism in the West. Martin of Tours was already on the scene. And so allied himself with Hillary, who was the more superior bishop of the two. And so in a way, Martin was a suffragan bishop of Hillary kind of a subordinate in terms of the hierarchy. And so between the two, and there were others, but between the two, these are the most important figures. Hillary kind of as the episcopal intellectual leader, Martin of Tours more as the episcopal monastic figure. But in the fourth century, that, that kind of association of episcopal intellectual and monastic was very very powerful more powerful than perhaps we would accord it in our own day but in the fourth century a very powerful association indeed and and they had a close association as far as we can tell
0: what was Priscillianism, and how did martin become involved in this controversy <laughs>
1: yes Priscillianism was uh, a very kind of strict ascetic movement in Spain and some persons accused it of kind of moving almost towards a Manichean dualism but very strict against anything that gave human pleasure and so was in Spain it was prohibited and condemned by what I'll just call the orthodox bishops of Iberia at the time but it was also persecuted by the imperial powers. And Martin of Tours, he was against Brazilianism, but he was also against the what he thought the harsh treatment of Brazilian bishops. And his opposition to the way Brazilianism was being handled by certain leaders of the church, by certain leaders of the imperial government, brought him into some, what should we call it, it angered some of them. And so Martin of Tours did then suffer some loss of prestige in Iberia and perhaps in certain places of Gaul. Todd, you are pointing your finger at a particular episode that was not unimportant, of course, in the latter part of Martin's general biography. But when everything is said and done, in in my judgment, it was a minor aspect of his overall ministry and life.
0: How did Martin die? Do we know?
1: Well, he was 81 or 82. Let's say he was born in three fifteen sixteen, died in 397. So that makes him in the low 80s. So as far as we know, he died a peaceful death. He was not martyred. Interesting fact, by the way, I think I'm right in this. He was the first non martyr to have a feast day accredited to him. So, a little bit of a trivia question there. So, he was not martyred, so he died a peaceful death. And uh, as far as I know, that's uh, pretty much all there is to say to it. What's his connection
0: to Martin Luther?
1: Well, is it not the case that Martin? Luther was probably named after Martin of Tours. Am I not right? Do you happen to know that? I think that's right.
0: I think he was, he was either born or baptized on his feast day.
1: Uh, well, that would be right, because we just celebrated, did we, Martin's birthday. So that, that sounds exactly right. And so it would have been his christening name. That makes perfectly good sense, indeed, absolutely. We do have two Martins here, both of whom are deserving of our respect and honor. How
0: does the church then best remember Martin of Tours?
1: Well, uh, again, if your readers can find a copy, and it is in English translation of the Life of Martin of Tours, the Vita Martini by Sulpicius Severus, it's a very good example of fourth century hagiography in which there are no doubt is a mix of legendary elements as well as historical elements. But you can see from reading a text like that why the church honored the man. And the man was honored, and we've touched upon this earlier in our discussion, honored the man as a soldier, bishop, soldier, monastic figure. Uh, and I put it that way because his struggles for orthodoxy and his struggles for the holiness of the Christian life in the context of paganism, that was still very strong, is the struggle of a Meletus Christi, as a soldier of Christ just as he is reported as a young soldier to have said to his superiors, I wanna get out of the Roman army because I am a soldier of Christ alone. And that's how he saw himself. And in our own day, when Christianity is increasingly a minority faith, and we are going to have to articulate our faith and the manner of our life, within a circumstance and context which is increasingly hostile to us, this agonistic aspect of Christian doctrinal articulation and the uh, agonistic aspect of the Christian life over against cultural demands and what seems to be so persuasive in the social and cultural and political milieu that will have to become more highlighted in our preaching and our teaching. Christianity was not easy for a person like Martin of Tours. He had to struggle again against the demons, against paganism, against the general lassitude of a failing Roman Empire. And so his monasticism was understood in agonistic terms, that is to say in terms of struggle and fight. and. I think that's how, why he was so honored, because he was the right man for that time when Christianity was to be seen as a superior force. We tend to think of Christianity simply as truer, just more correct. That's correct. But important also in a period like the fourth century was that Christianity was a superior power. That is to say, you could overcome the demons, you could overcome the devil, you could overcome sin and the power of death. And that was born along, we need to understand. Keep in mind that the Nicene Council was a fourth century assembly. And so to assert that Christ was the King of kings and the Lord of lords and fully divine with his Father in every way, without exception to that claim, meant that Christ could overcome all powers. And people like Anthony in Egypt, persons like Martin of Tours in the West, were exemplars of that conviction, both in terms of their mind, as well as in terms of their will, and it was manifested in terms of their act as well.
0: Dr. Bill Weinrich is professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of the Concordia Commentaries on John chapters 1 through 7 and John chapters 7 through 12. You can purchase both of Dr. Weinrich's John Commentaries by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Weinrich, thank you. My pleasure, Todd. Thank you so much. Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss suffering in the book of Jeremiah with Dr. Reed Lessing, and we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, talking with Dr. Carl Fikancher about Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple, wars and persecution, and the destruction of Jerusalem in Luke chapter 21. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
1: is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023 24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal J. Krausey J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E at M-E-L-H-S dot org. J Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, is hosting its annual Sausage Supper on Sunday, November 13th. Carry-out meals are available beginning at 1130 Sunday morning until 530 Sunday evening. St. Paul Lutheran is located three miles off of Interstate 55 on Old Route 66. St. Paul Lutheran's Carry Out Sausage Supper, 1130 a.m. through 530 p.m., Sunday, November 13th, in Hamill, Illinois.